Well, welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Across from me, Shane Bishop. My name is Mike Wooten. We're happy to have you join us today. What news topics are trending in the world? Today, Shane and I will talk about topics that are trending in the news. We have some fun stories to share with you and Shane and I's thoughts regarding faith and politics. We also want you to know that we're giving away Navigating Change with Shane and Mike t-shirts. We're going to put the link up. If you click on the link, give them your email, spread the word about the podcast. Uh, you'll be able to sign up, then get to get those t-shirts and, of course, be able to connect other people with this podcast. You can find the link on the podcast description, the Christchurch Facebook page, or on Shane and I's Facebook page pages as well. Shane, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. That seemed like a long introduction. Felt like you had a lot of material. And I'm just kind of wondering if this new current events thing isn't sort of a desperate attempt, kind of a Hail mm-hmm. Mary pass kind of thing to try to get yeah. an audience and a sponsor. Well, I feel a little bit like the newspaper industry, like, uh, you know, kind of going out of business maybe right now. In fact, speaking of newspapers, I actually went and bought a couple newspapers. I see that you do, man. You have actual newspapers yeah. in your hand. I, I got to tell you, I've never seen this before. Yeah. And I never expected to see it from you. Well, Mike. I can tell you that it didn't really help me with my research. I'm I started looking at him. I said, I'll just go to the internet and find stories. (laughs) Uh, But uh, hey, I was thinking about newspapers. Do you have any stories from growing up? Like when you think of newspapers and growing up, uh, was dad, was he looking at newspapers and that's a a kind of a a memory or do you have anything like that? Yeah, we had two basic kind of things. One was the Ducoin Evening Call, which was a a local paper. Yeah. You know, talk about local events and uh, that type of thing. And, And if you were very interested in our small town, you, you got some of that. I mean, it was still the kind of thing back then, you know, that, you know, Mike and Valerie Wooten had a party and you'd tell who attended and oh, wow. tell what was served and a good time wow. was had by Those all. Those type of details. Yeah, oh. yeah, a little. you got a little bit of Mayberry in that. Yeah. And then churches would have things mm-hmm. and, and pastors would write, but very much geared at a hometown audience. Yeah. And then, then I juxtapose that. I remember when USA Today came to town. Uh-huh. First of all, it was expensive. I don't remember what it was, yeah. but I mean, it was it was some serious money. Mm-hmm. But I mean, here, here the Ducoin Evening Call lay there in, in black and white, wilting newsprint, <laughs> man. And then you had USA Today yeah. in its bright colors yeah. and, and powerful things. So th- uh-huh. those are the two newspaper memories I have. You, you got any newspaper stuff? I think before Sunday school or before church on Sunday, I would read the comics in the newspaper growing up at my grandparents' dining room table. Also, I delivered papers. Really? For, for a year, I did the News Gazette out of Champagne. It was out of Champagne, but uh, it was in Rantoul. For, it was a seven-day-a-week paper. Now, I always wondered, how how does that work? Did you like have to pay for the papers? Or how did you get paid, Mike? So That's what I want to So at the end of the know. month, this is before you know you would pay online. You get you collect. It was called collecting. Okay. And then like in the fourth week of the month, you would go collect the money uh, from uh, you know your customers, if you will. And you'd have to go to the door and you'd have to knock wow. on the door and you had like a I don't know what you call it, like a big change purse on with the yeah. zipper on top, and uh, you'd give them I think a slip. And they would pay you back, and then you would get a profit off of that. I think for the month, I'd make uh, like a hundred bucks, one hundred and twenty-five bucks. Wow! So you would, but you were your own collection agency. I, you had to go yeah. knock on doors. Knock How old on were doors. you? Uh, then I was eleven. 10 so it's kind of like if you don't pay up, I'm going to kick you in the shin. That no, kind of thing. No, I was scared to death. You know what I mean? <laughs> Going on people's property, having dogs. Some of them, and they'd always tell us, "Hey, you don't have to put. You put the paper like wherever you want it, but then you, you know, your customer wanted a certain place. Well, who's paying you? The customer, and they would tip. 
by the way, that was a big part of it. Oh. If you did good service, they would a lot of times give you a tip. So I did that. I also did the Rantoul Press after that. That only lasted a year. Seven days a week for an 11-year-old was a lot for That's me. That's pretty back. tough, man. Did you have to wake up at like O-Dark 30 On kind of Saturday thing? and Sundays? Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. I was up early for that. And good then, for you. And then uh, the Rantoul Press I did for about a year, and that was just a Wednesday paper, come home from school and deliver it in my, in my neighborhood. So other kids in school just doing what kids do? You're out there making money? Yeah. Kind of got a little hustle going out there. Mike kind of forms the great man you are today. I do, but I have a story that kind of goes against that too. Whenever I got into high school, I would, uh, you know, I, I had a rough first couple of years of high school. And on Friday nights, I'd Self-inflicted go, rough or oh rough Oh my gosh, absolutely self-inflicted. All right, all yeah, right. yeah. Bring, you know, uh, and I'd stay out late on Friday nights. And then Saturday night, I'd have to get up early to go to the restaurant, right? So I'd be there by 6.30 a.m. you worked at a restaurant. I worked at a restaurant. I didn't want people to think you had to get up early to go eat. I just, <laughs> that's yeah. right. No way. I, w- I was a teenager and I would have slept until, you know, 10 or 11, I'm sure. So I'd go into the restaurant at like 6.30 a.m. and uh, kind of connected to activities from the night before still. Uh, then I would go up to my stepbrother who was at the grill cooking. i say, hey, Matt, can I get some hash browns and gravy? So the first thing I did when I came in at 6.30 in the morning, I wanted to be fed. I like it. Okay, and so my, my brother didn't like it very much. Whenever you're cooking hash browns in a diner on, on one of those uh, old uh, uh, stovetops, if you will, uh, you'll just kind of put some hash browns off to the side because it takes a while for them to cook. So they'll get real crispy. And eventually, if you don't throw them away, they'll get greasy. All right. And so he'd give me those, the ones that are about to go in the garbage, two ladles of gravy. Then I'd get a big glass of chocolate milk. And that's what, and I would look at the uh, News Gazette sports section because they'd have U of I sports from the fall, obviously football, and the spring basketball. And that's what I do for like the first hour of work. So you you were a Cubs fan, right? So you got the yeah. Cubs going, got the Cubs Bears going. going, and U of I going. That's oh, kind of your sports world. That, that was my sports world. And I was doing absolutely, I would come in, sit, and eat, and read a paper. I was worthless the first two years. I like it. I like high it. School. So do you feel that you've like overcome those feelings of worthlessness or do you feel like they still linger in the back of your head? That's why I work so hard today. I like it. I feel so bad for those two years. You're just trying to make up for it. (laughs) So do you still ever eat uh, hash browns and gravy? No, because it's terrible for you. You want to gain 10 pounds overnight, have a big plate of hash browns and gravy. But weren't those great old days though, man, when you, you know, you're, you're freshman in high school, you weigh a buck, nothing. You can eat anything you want and and you can't gain weight no no matter what you do. And imagine just having this diner kind of act, you know, you free access for the most part. And so it, it wasn't great. All right, Shane, we are going to get into some trending topics. Uh, we're going to start with the ridiculous. I like to start with the ridiculous. Okay. We're, so I'm going to give you like a couple it. stories here uh, that are trending in the world, and then we'll get to a little bit more substantive things. So here's story number one. I'm going to give you the headline and I'll read the st- uh, parts of the story here. Okay. Okay. Trending topic number one. Here's the headline. Transparent public toilets unveiled in Tokyo parks. Why? The idea, here's the story, of using a public bathroom with see-through walls may sound like the stuff of nightmares, but a famous Japanese architect is hoping to change that view, using vibrant colors and new technology to make restrooms in Tokyo parks more inviting, according to an architect. Uh, The architect said, there are two things we worry about when entering a public restroom, especially those located in the park. The first is cleanliness. The second is whether anyone is inside. But here we go. Transparent walls can address both these worries by showing people what awaits them inside. And after the user enters the restroom and locks the door, the powder's room, powder room's walls turn a powdery pastel shade, and you're no longer able to see through. 
Using the new technology we made for outer walls with the glass, they become opaque when the door is locked. So, Shane, I got a picture of these somewhere that I want to show you. All right. This All is, right. So here, this is great for a podcast. That, that That's the restrooms. That's the restrooms. But then once you lock the door, bang. All right. There you go. So that's world news. All I can one. really think about is the old yeah. Jeff Foxworthy thing, you yeah. know? You remember those, you know, you might be a redneck things? Yeah. He said, if you ever walk into an outdoor restroom, a porta potty, yeah. and you walk inside and think, nice, <laughs> you might be a redneck. Yeah, right. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm just kind of thinking. I get it, though. I, I, I guess yeah, at I, first I was thinking that they didn't you know, block things out. But once you get yeah. in, it all blocks up. Yeah. Save a malfunction of some th- type li- that could be embarrassing. It sure. seems okay. I was, I was leaving a little suspense there, but I don't think that's great for Tokyo tourism. Does that make you want to go to Tokyo? I never wanted to go to Tokyo anyway. <laughs> How not, about you? No, not really. It's not on my bucket list. <laughs> but it, but it, now that I know these restrooms are there, I might be shooting <laughs> over that way. Maybe you will. Now, the other thing, yeah. Mike, is, is I'm an American, right? So I associate public restrooms with free yeah. Not clean. Oh yeah, but free. Yes. I mean, this sounds like something. I mean, this might be a ten buck a pop kind of like Disney yeah. World restroom kind of thing. And do you think? You've traveled much more than me, but you do know, obviously, that when you go around the world, a lot of times you got to pay to use a restroom. You got to pay to use the restroom. I was shocked. We went to Europe. Uh, you know, or I think it was when we were in Europe. I couldn't believe you actually have to pay to go inside and use a restroom. Now you go to some countries though where you don't pay, mm-hmm. and you're happy to pay to to, to use a clean restroom. You know what right. I mean? I'm, so there, there are yeah. times on places I'm thinking, I'm happy to pay a buck or two to be in a clean restroom, but this seems like kind of a pristine kind of thing, kind of an artsy kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. It seems a little weird. It, it's definitely weird. That's why I So want. would you use such a restroom? Uh, I mean, yeah, if I need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I'm the same way. If I had to go to the bathroom, I mean, we've gone to worse places than that, right? Yeah. So you got to you gotta balance that all out with reality. There you go. All right, one more uh, trending topic that's ridiculous, and we're going to go around the world to Australia. Here we go. Emus, large birds, emus, okay? Masters of disguise, I understand. I'm not sure about that. Have been banned for bad behavior, a hotel in Australia's Outback says. Emus have been ba- banned for bad behavior. A hotel in Australia's Outback says, are you interested in hearing any more? Well, I've heard that twice, you know? <laughs> I mean, so you just repeated it. So I feel like, yeah, I'd like to hear it four or five more times. Yeah, go right ahead, Mike. Oh, uh, two emus, and they have names. They're siblings. <laughs> Kevin- oh, they're, they're, they're siblings. Because yeah. this could have just been a rough family. Well, you know, yeah, it could be. Yeah, some families are rougher than others. There's no doubt about it. But these siblings seem to be working together. Kevin and Carol are now banned from a hotel in a tiny town in Australia's vast outback. Raised by an animal rescuer, the birds are usually as friendly as wide and wide-eyed source of entertainment for visitors. But the emus learn to climb the stairs at a local pub. The new skill gave the birds access to the pub in the Yarkara Hotel in Queensland. Once inside, they unleashed a long-legged brand of chaos. They snatched toast and french fries away from the customers. One of the birds even went behind the bar. A stern response was required. Emus have been banned from this establishment for bad behavior as as a sign that has now been put up in the uh, stairs leading to the hotel's pub. The message asks any human visitors to replace the emu barrier when, they're, when they enter. Hotel co-owner uh, Jerry Gimblett said in an interview with 10 News First, we put the sign up, but we're not quite sure whether they're able to read or not. 
So we had to put a bar across there as well. The emus have been popular with visitors. They learned that posing for a photo often means a reward of a quick snack. You know, Mike, that proves that a story could be long without being interesting. I think that is fascinating, the, the sheer length of that story. But I think it's more of a cautionary tale. I mean, let this be a lesson to you, emu. Yeah, let this be a lesson to emus, ostriches, and uh, marsupials all over Australia. I mean, if you don't crack down on your malcreant yeah. emus, before long you have kangaroos, uh, other kind. Oh, did you did you hear that they just released Tasmanian devils back into the wild in Australia? Buddy, you think emus are going to be problems? Wait until the no. Tasmanian devils learn to climb stairs. But Mike, I think this could get I, out of hand. I, I think you missed the, the line. We put the sign up, but we're not quite sure whether they're able to read or not. Well, they can. Emus can read. That is a known fact. That's why I didn't even address it, because everybody knows that, except perhaps you. Now, now they read English, but they read it with a slight accent. My favorite part of our podcast is when I don't run a bit by you. <laughs> <laughs> One out of every four work. Yeah, you know, well, there we go. <laughs> That's by far my favorite part. Okay. So I hope you all liked that trending topic. I can't imagine the ridiculous because I have have a, a feeling it's never coming back. All right. So here we go. Here's the next trending topic. Like I said, a little bit more substantive. Okay. All right. We are in a presidential election cycle. Shane, if you haven't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, both candidates, they're campaigning right now. I know President Trump was recently in Florida campaigning. Former president, uh, Vice President Joe Biden was in Ohio battleground states. Now. We go with a lot of places on this, but one of the things I was thinking, Shane, is that you know you're a strategic leader, and uh, I remember the last time we were there was I was here when we had a presidential election cycle and we were headed into it. And I remember you just kind of saying from a leadership standpoint uh, that we need to be aware of the heat of another presidential election. It wasn't yeah. about that presidential election, but as a leader, you were just telling us we need to be aware that there's going to be heat around that, and I, I just felt like you without. I was just kind of getting a general principle of leadership when you shared that with us. You know, why is it important to, uh, you know, kind of know that and equip leaders uh, when there's some type of heated topic like a presidential election uh, coming? Well, the first thing, Mike, I want to do is announce that I am running for president of the United States in 2024. See, you got to tell me that before we do No, no, this. no. This was the big, this was the mm-hmm. big thing. There, <laughs> this was like a big, big unveiling yeah, it, it, it's huge. Yeah, it, it's huge. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking when word gets around, this could draw up to six additional viewers. Oh, there's no doubt. No about viewers. It. Listeners well, is just, what we I have in a podcast, right? Yeah. No, Mike, I think with uh, politics, you know, we are Christian leaders and there's a lot of different dynamics as to how Christian leaders handle politics. But my question is never how does a Christian leader handle politics? Mm-hmm. It's how does Christian how does a Christian leader handle Christian leadership? And anything that gets in the way of Christian leadership becomes a detriment. I don't feel like I have to be an expert on politics. I don't have to be an expert on world health. I don't have to be an expert on a lot of things mm-hmm. because I'm clear on my mission. I exist to connect people to Jesus. If I start getting too far out of my lane, all of a sudden, I think it started starts pushing people away from my central mission. So for me, you know, I have political opinions. I've got a, a minor in political science. I mean, I certainly have my own dispositions. 
For me, a lot of being Christian leader says I need to keep a lot of that stuff to myself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there's not big issues that don't have theological implications. I'm just talking the partisan politics part of it. When you get saying I'm for this candidate or I'm for this candidate, it's a very different thing than taking issues that are in the Bible and saying, I'm going to stand with an issue. So for me, I think we need to understand what is our mission? Where is our lane? And realize the further you get out of your wheelhouse in terms of what God's called you to do, I think the more problems you're going to get. Right. And you said, you know, maybe talking to big issues is something that you would be, you know, open for. But it it is tough because there's always an issue to talk about, right? So if you start to jump on one issue, why why are you jumping on this issue and not that issue? It becomes this type of a cycle that seems like you could never get out of. Well, and where do you quit? And, And the other problem is, we live in a country that is accustomed people to viewing theology through a political lens. Mm-hmm. If you think about your lens as a shade of sunglasses, you know, I've got a, I've got a, one shade of sunglasses. It's kind of green tint. And uh, I put those on. The world looks different than when I have a different tint on. Sure. I think a lot of our society looks at everything through a political lens, yeah. including theology. And, and you're at a point you could make a completely theological statement And people would hear that with political leaders. So they just can't handle it. So I I think for me, a part of it is just saying, you know, knowing what is beneficial for what is in my wheelhouse, Mm. knowing what I need to stay away from. Uh, Are there times that God may ping us and say, hey, you need to address this head on? There may very well be. But I I do think it's a balancing act, Mike. And, And the other thing I tell people all the time, a part of me accepting the call in the ministry mm-hmm. was realizing I'm going to have to keep some of my politics to myself. Sure. And I think that is a prudent way to go all the way around. When I retire, Mike, mm-hmm. I mean, I may share every thought I've got <laughs> about politics. I mean, they may all just come out. It may be the ugliest thing you've ever seen as I share all my thoughts. Until then, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. Okay. Well, speaking of Jesus and theology, you've been in a pulpit. Uh, how long have you been preaching, Shane? 30 years now? Yeah, I guess the first year that I started preaching every single Sunday was 1989. So that's how long you've been preaching every week. When How do you approach the Bible uh, in general and how it kind of informs politics? Because what I hear you saying is that you, you politics is never your guide. It sounds like the right. Bible is your guide. But then uh, surely the Bible kind of... Uh, teaching from the Bible would affect politics, right? So what's just your kind of approach as a pastor, uh, and and how do you see that just helping people in their political journeys? Yeah, for for me, uh, I try to preach the the whole of the Bible the best I can. I try to invite people to read the Bible. I mean, you can't do a a 30-week series on Leviticus or everybody quit your church, but I do try to, uh, to look at the whole of things. My thinking, Mike, is that if I can get people into the Word, And if we can take a serious look at what the Bible actually has to say and and remove that from our preconceptions on one hand, our religious dogma on the other hand, and our political dogma on the other hand, if we can just get what the Bible's saying, I believe people are intelligent enough to figure out how that applies to their political lives. So I want to get them in the Word. I'm going to leave it up to them to decide just exactly where that all plugs in. So if it was, if there was a Christian who was basically saying, uh, Pastor, who do I? How do I know who to vote for? You would say, you know, uh, start to study the Word, start to understand what the important concepts in the Bible. 
know, how they connect with you. How- and then see how the candidates du jour line up with the things that seem to be most important to the world of the Bible. Yeah, I've, uh, for me, you know, I've had the opportunity to be around a lot of Christians from different political parties. I've had some of those uh, Christians really kind of, uh, some of those Christians really have demonized people from the opposite party, but I've also been around people who have really handled the, their political leanings with grace and mm-hmm. respect for others, which has taught me a lot. And I think I would just advise someone to dive into the Bible, allow it to speak to the issues that move you. And, and most of most of all, what moves God's heart, right? We can't yeah. always start with ourselves. We got to figure out what moves God's heart and, and go from there, there. And I think when people cast their ballot, um, you know, you should just be proud that you have the opportunity to be proud of, you know, what, how God is speaking to you. And, and I would just say from a Christian point of view, just don't bring any hate into the, the ballot whenever you're casting it. Yeah. And there are times, Mike, when, when I, I, I step into a voting booth and I think surely we could have done better than this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. surely we could do better than this. And then I always remember uh, all of the people who, who sacrificed so much to give me that single right to vote. I, I think about mm-hmm. the, the soldiers who, who died and, and the people who, who, who championed just the idea that we as, as citizens of a country have a sense of self-determination over what that country becomes. You, you juxtapose that with the monarchy and, mm-hmm. and the, the systems that came, and, and, and a lot of times just pure despots. Right. It's an incredible thing. And, and when I think about the Bibles telling us you know, to pray for our leaders, because that's really what the Bible says to do, yeah. is pray for our leaders. One thing people forget is there wasn't a single leader in the Bible who was elected to anything. When That's they're good... talking about praying for the Roman emperor or they're talking about praying for the governor, these people are there out of military occupation. Right. They're not giving you a fair shake. They're not having to be responsive to your needs. They don't care about you at all mm. other than you pay them taxes. And so the reality is uh, we are to pray for our leaders. The fact that we have the opportunity to have some input into that is, is really a, a gift that I do not take for granted. So I'm going to go vote. I'm going to vote my conscience as it is informed by the word. Right. And I simply advise other people to do the same. I love that. Uh, my grandma, I talked to her a few months uh, back and uh, I don't even know what came up, but she's made this comment that's just kind of stuck with me about how all we can do is move things forward a little bit more for the next generation. Yeah. All we can do. And it's just, you know, as I, as I start to get a little bit older, you know, you see the same cycles. You the do. same cycle start to happen. But really, I mean, if we can just push things and when you're really young, I guess you want you think you're gonna change everything for the most part, at least, yeah. you know, that's what I thought. And then but then you're like, wait a minute, people came before you, they moved it ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. And really, uh, all our job is, or at least what I think about this is that just to move stuff ahead a little bit more. And, uh, and I think that's great historic perspective you're giving us there. And I really hadn't thought about how, you know, it was military occupation. Uh, in in the Bible and when that's being asked to be uh, used for prayer. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, playing it forward's a great thought. You know, at times my dad will tell me about his dad, and and I'll think, you know, my dad was certainly a more nurturing dad than his father was. I I think I was a more nurturing, more involved dad than my father was. And I look at my son, and I think he's more nurturing and involved than I was. And so some things I do think you got to take an historical look at things and say, are we making progress here? Are we moving things forward? And of course, you know, your own perspective is going to determine your answer to that. <laughs> right. But but on the whole, 
are we headed in a good direction? I think that is a, is a fair thing to ask. Absolutely. Well, we're going to close up shop today on these trending topics uh, in the country and around the world. As we close up, Shane, is there anything you want to leave us with some of those incredible stories I started with or anything on the political realm or anything else going on in the world? You know, the, the thing I guess that sticks in my mind here, Mike, is that what is the difference between the way Christian people process what's going on in the world and people that don't know Christ. When I think about the teachings of the New Testament, one thing I'm always cognizant of is is that Paul's teachings are not for society at large. They're for the church. Paul did not expect Nero to act like a Christian, but he expected Christians not to act like Nero. So as we apply what I'm going to call the filters of a biblical worldview into our own lives, realizing we're not all going to land in the same place. But I do think we should go through the same process. And as we look at things, we need to say, what is God honoring in all of this? As we take a look at the world, I think we need to have that Christian worldview. And I'm not talking about some kind of... uh, ideology that's as much political as it is religious. I'm just talking about something that grows through an honest embracing of scriptures, something that flows out of us that doesn't have a chip on its shoulder, but just knowing that we know who we are. We know what God did for us. We believe our best lives are lived in accordance with the clear and consistent teachings of Scripture, and we're in a pretty good mood about it. And I do think staying in a good mood about it, even on things like politics where other people seem to be in a bad mood Mm -hmm. all of the time, Mm -hmm. I think that can be part of a Christian witness as well. Amen. I think that will move things forward too. Well, thank you for listening to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Be sure to click on the link to enter to win a free Navigating Change with Shane and Mike t-shirt. You can find the link in the description of the podcast, the Christchurch Facebook page, or on Shane or Mike's Facebook pages. Thank you for listening, and make sure that you keep the change.